Thank you all for sharing that with us this morning. Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Luke, chapter number 4. Luke, chapter number 4, and I want to read verses 1 to 13 today. And what is interesting about this passage of Scripture, we're dealing with the temptations of Jesus Christ, but we're probably going to spend a whole lot more time talking about the authority that Jesus had to overcome these temptations rather than looking at all of the temptations themselves because they're, uh, they're pretty, pretty vivid. But I will tell you the authority that Jesus had is very powerful as we see it in this text today. The title of the sermon is, this morning is this, The Authority of God's Word. God's Word is a book of authority. I remember as a high school student, I guess was the first time in my life that I came to understand the authority of Scripture and how that it was essential that I believe in the authority of God's Word for my life. And I've believed it ever since then. Would you stand please with your Bible in hand, Luke chapter number 4. I want to begin reading there in verse 1. We're going to look at uh, 13 verses as we go through. But what I want you to notice as we look at this scripture, notice in each occasion that Jesus is tempted, how he responds to the devil in that temptation. Because that's key in, in understanding the authority of God's Word. I'll slow up as we get to each one and I'll, I'll repoint that out to us. Verse number 1. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. This is right after the baptism of Jesus. Jesus had just been baptized. And now he's come and the Holy Spirit is leading him. You remember at the baptism of Jesus, the Holy Spirit came and, and lighted upon him like a dove. And God said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. That didn't mean Jesus became deity at that point. Jesus was always deity. He was deity as a little baby. He's never ceased to be God in the flesh. But what God is illustrating to us is, I've anointed Jesus, my son. I've anointed him, now the Holy Spirit for ministry. That's what his baptism was all about. Sorry about that interruption, but back in verse 2. Being tempted 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing, and afterward when they were ended he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones be made bread. But Jesus answered him saying, answered the devil saying, It is written, the authority of God's word right there, it is written. Man shall not live by, every, uh, by bread alone, but by every word of God. He actually quoted a passage in Deuteronomy. Verse 5, then the devil takes him up to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment's time. And the devil said to him, all authority will I give you and their glory, 
For this has been delivered to me, and I will give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, this will all be yours. And Jesus said, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written. And he uses scripture. This time, he's quoting from Psalms 91. For you shall... Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only you shall serve. Then He brought him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He shall give His angels charge over you, and they will bear you up in their hands, and they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Now I want you to notice the subtle thing that has happened here. In the first two temptations, Jesus quoted Scripture to overcome temptation. Now in temptation number three, we have the devil using Scripture to trap Jesus. Don't you think for a moment that the devil doesn't know more Bible verses than you do? And don't you think for a moment that the devil won't use the Bible to trick you into following him if you don't know the right interpretation of scripture so that's interesting in that scripture verse number 12 Jesus answered and said to him it has been said it has been written the authority of God's word you shall not tempt the Lord your God now when the devil had ended every temptation he departed from him until an opportune time Shall we pray? Father, I pray that you'll bless the reading of your word. Speak to our hearts through it this morning as we come to understand how to live the Christian life, how to be filled with power, how to be filled with joy, how to be filled with peace, how to follow Jesus and please you in all of our way, how to live in victor victory. God, we know that it comes the relationship with Christ, and its soul hinges on the authority of God's Word. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you be seated, please? Before we actually get into the text of Scripture, I want to talk for a little bit about authority just in a general way. And I want to apologize to you. My opening remarks for the next few minutes I had on your outline this morning, but I took it off because it wouldn't fit on the little half page that I used. So anyway, you're just going to have to listen real good. But there are four types of authority that I want to talk about for a moment. First of all, when we come to an understanding of authority, I think we've got to begin at this point, and that is understanding authority this way. What is civil authority? The authority that governs our land. Wherever you live, you do not want to live in a, uh, an anarchy kind of society with no laws. You and I want to live in a land where there are laws, where there are civil authorities that will enforce those laws, the laws of society, enforced by the police upheld by the courts, upheld by the government. We live 
in a society of order because of the laws. And we know how those laws work. And if we break them and get caught, we're going to pay the price. If we break them and don't get caught, we still may pay the price anyway because God has ordained civil authority. We read that in Scripture. Peter talked about it. Paul talked about it in Romans 13 that God has put in place civil authority to govern people and to govern society. So we get that when we know it. There's another kind of authority and that is family authority. There's authority in the home. There's the mom and dad, the husband and the wife. They're the authority over the children. The children have to obey their parents. And if they don't obey their parents, they get in trouble. That, that they used to. Back in my day, they got in trouble. Now, I don't know about your day. Kids may not get in trouble anymore. But they used to. And so we see the authority in the home. That authority in the home also can become delegated authority. If there are older siblings in the home, the parents may delegate some authority to them to keep the younger ones in line and to make them obey. And so we know all about that. The uh, family authority. Then there's the workplace authority. We know all about that, don't we? In the workplace, there's the owner of the business. And you better follow the owner of the business's instruction. There's the manager. There is the shift worker manager. There's the boss. And you can develop in any kind of employment you are involved in a chain of authority that comes down from someone at the top and then that authority comes all the way and it trinkles on down through there. There's no other way for a business to run. There's no other way for something to operate other than that kind of authority. So we see that, that the world and everything around us is all about Authority, civil authority, family authority, and workplace authority. There may be some others that I've missed. But I want to talk for a few moments in the rest of our time about a, another authority, and that is spiritual authority. I bet I'm talking to some folks here this morning, and you've never even taken the time since you have been a believer to really analyze what is spiritual authority and how does it work well I want to tell you something when I talk about spiritual authority uh, I'm not talking about a pastor I'm not talking about a deacon group or a body of deacons I'm not talking about a church when I'm talking about a spiritual authority I'm asking and I'm saying this we understand that the head of everything in creation is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. God's in charge of this universe. I've been studying uh, this week Proverbs chapter 8. And I've mentioned to you before, if you don't believe in biblical creation, it's going to mess you up everywhere you read in the Bible. And midway in Proverbs chapter number 8, 
He talks about wisdom and he says this wisdom was with God in heaven when he created the whole world and put the earth and the sky and the sea and gave it its boundaries. I'm telling you, friend, there, there is there's some truth in believing in creationism. I hope you do, because if you don't, you're never going to be a strong believer following Jesus if you don't believe it. I can just tell you that right now. But anyway, don't, don't want to get chasing that rabbit too far. Spiritual authority. Now watch this. God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Godhead, spiritual authority. Now I want to ask you a question. How do you know what all of the spiritual authority is expecting of you? How do we know how to live in relationship to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? Now, we, we know how to get along in civil authority. If we get it wrong, the authority's going to come and tell us and they're going to lock us up till we get it figured out, aren't we? In the family, if, if we're messing around in the authority structure in the family, either the mom or dad are going to get a hold of us and they're going to set us straight on what the authority is in the home. And the same in the workplace. If in the workplace you're messing up, you've got an authority figure going to come and set you down and have a talk with you and say, you either get this right or guess what? You're going to get your pink slip and be looking for another job. We get it in that. But what about spiritual authority? How do we know where we stand in the spiritual world with God? One place. One, and it's the Bible, it's the Word of God. You see, the Word of God is God's spiritual authority workbook. It's God's spiritual authority manual. Because the Bible was inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible is God's Word. And when we read the Bible, when we study the Bible, when we meditate on the Scripture, there is the spiritual authority that God is using to speak to us, to govern our lives, and to point us in the direction that He wants us to go in. Now watch this. Look around at all of the people here today. If we do not have the Bible, here's what can happen. We can all get up at the end of the service and say, God has spoken to me and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. I'm going to go here. I'm going to go there. I'm going to live this life. This is okay for me. It's okay for them. It's all right for them. And we could have mayhem all over the place if there is no direction other than what we think in our heart, God has put in our mind to do. It'd be chaos. But if we all have the same Bible, if we all adhere to the same Word of God, that is the authoritative book. And we read it, it's on a page, it's black and white, we can see it. We all read the same verse, the same message, the same story, we read the same thing, and so therefore we all have the same opportunity to obey. 
or the same opportunity to disobey. But we all know that we're all on the same page. The authority of God's Word. Now let me take us a little bit further in how this works and we're going to get to the text for a moment. Let's just look outside for a moment or let's just think about outside for a moment. Let's just think about this this law right here. I'm not going to do this because I don't want to mess my knees up. But I could jump right here and if I jumped forward, what's going to happen to me? I'm going to land right down here, aren't I? I'm going to land right down on the ground. That's called the law of gravity. I can drop my Bible, it's going to go to the ground. Now this was one of the temptations that the devil had for Jesus, by the way. That second one, he said, jump off the pinnacle of the temple and the angels of God are going to catch you when you hit the ground. He was actually quoting Psalm 91. I got that wrong when we read it a minute ago. But he was actually, the devil quoting Psalm 91, said, Jesus, jump off the temple. And if Jesus jumped off the temple, he was going to land on the ground. The law of gravity. Listen to me, friend. God has established the law of gravity. Do you know what? That law of gravity is not going to change, is it? It doesn't matter what you think about it, what I think about it. It doesn't matter whether I like it or don't like it, whether it suits me at a particular time or doesn't suit me at a particular time. The law of gravity is not going to change. If something is in the air, it's going to fall to the ground unless it's got a power source to keep it flying and in the air. That's one of God's laws, but there's some more. There is the law of sowing and reaping in the Word of God. The Bible says if you sow it, you're going to reap it. Whether it's good seed or bad seed. Whether it's financial or whatever it may be. Whether it's sin. The law of sowing and reaping. And guess what? The law of sowing and reaping never changes. It's a law that God has in place that the Scripture tells us about. There's another law. The law of sin and death in the Scripture. And here's how that law works. When you sin, you're going to die. And everybody has sinned and everybody's going to die. There, that law is never, never going to be broken. The only thing that can change that law is if Jesus comes again and people are still living on the earth, then they're going to go to heaven to be with Him. But the law of sin and death never changes. Okay, that law is set and it is permanent. I'll give you another set of laws. The laws of the Ten Commandments. Those laws are set. They are laws that are given by God. And my friend, you and I can think we break those commandments. But we don't break those commandments. We will break ourselves disobeying those commandments. Those commandments are set. Now I want to move quickly and let's get into what we're talking about here in the authority of God's Word. God's Word is the authority and is an authoritative book. God's Word is to be the authority in my life in spiritual matters. There's the civil authority, there's family authority, there's workplace authority. 
But the Scripture is the spiritual authority in my life, and it should be in your life. How do I know what God wants me to do? How do I know how God wants me to act and behave? How do I know how God wants me to live my life? How do I know how God wants me to treat other people? How do I know anything that I would ever want to know about God? How do I know it? I know it in one location, in one place, and it is the Word of God, and the Bible is the authoritative book. It is true from Genesis to Revelation. It's all true all the way through. Now let me show you a problem. Let's say that I decide today the Bible is my authority on matters of salvation, what it means to be saved. But the Bible is not my authority on how to treat other people. Then I've got a problem, don't I? Because I'm not in keeping with what God's Word says. What if I say the parts of the Bible that I agree with, that's authoritative to me, but the parts of the Bible I don't agree with, well, that was written by man, and God's not going to enforce that upon me. I would be making a mess, wouldn't I? Because that is not the truth, and that I've undermined the authority of the Word of God. You see, I've sat in college classes before as a student when the Bible was taught just like I told you we should not look at it. The Bible was taught as the opinion of man. It was taught as wisdom kind of literature. But it was not taught as an authoritative book that should rule and give direction in our life. But we know that the Bible is that. We should know it is that. The authority of Scripture. Now let's come to the temptations of Jesus. And let's just quickly go through them. And then I want to get down to the conclusion in a moment. And show you a couple of verses. Notice temptation number one. As Jesus was tempted. The devil said to him. Uh, you're hungry. You haven't eaten for 40 days for 40 nights. Uh, why don't you turn these stones into bread? Now, take that temptation and look at it very closely for a moment. What does that remind you of? Do you remember later on in Jesus' ministry that he did something similar to that? Jesus had some little loaves and some little fishes. And the disciples said, what's that among so many people? And so Jesus broke those loaves and he fed the 5,000 and he fed them with the fishes and the loaves and performed that great miracle there in John chapter 6. Well, what's the difference here? I'll tell you what the difference here is. The first difference is this is temptation by the devil. There's nothing that you want to do that the devil tells you to do. There is nothing that you want to do that the devil suggests that you do. My friend, listen to me. The devil's not for you. He's against you. He wants to ruin your life. He wants to mess you up any way he can. And he's never going to be for you doing anything that is wholesome and good that is going to be blessed of God. And here is the temptation, the devil saying to Jesus, 
since you are so hungry, you haven't eaten for 40 days or 40 nights, use this power God has given you to turn stones to bread, eat that bread, and when you do that, you're going to be nourished and you're going to be strong. That was a temptation to sin. It was a temptation to abuse the power and the things that God was wanting to do in the life of Jesus. Jesus didn't use his power for himself like that. And the mere fact that the devil suggested it made it a sin and a temptation. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Jesus says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus defeated Satan with the authority of God's word. Now, let me ask you a question. Let's say that Deuteronomy that Jesus quoted wasn't inspired of the Holy Spirit. Let's say that's just the thoughts of Moses and that was just how Moses saw anything. What good would it have done Jesus to have quoted that scripture to the devil? Absolutely none. But Jesus understood that the Word of God is an authoritative book. The Word of God is authoritative. And the Word of God can silence the tempter who has come against me. And so he used Scripture to do it. Look at the second temptation for a moment. The devil says to him, worship me, and I will give you all of the kingdoms of this world. Now here's a good question that we could ask at this time. Were these kingdoms the devils to give? Well, let me ask you a question. He says, worship me, fall down and bow before me, and I'll give you all of these kingdoms. It's, 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 it's like the devil saying, look, Jesus, he took him, and it was like a time capsule. He went out somewhere. We don't know where he was. And, and it's like the devil rolled back and shows Jesus all of the kingdoms of the world, the great kingdoms, and says, these belong to me. And if you'll bow down and worship me, I'll give all of these kingdoms to you. What kingdoms is he talking about? Well, let's, let's ask this question for a moment. What were the great kingdoms back in those days? There was the kingdom of Egypt. There was the kingdom of Babylon. You remember Nebuchadnezzar and his rulership there in Babylon. You remember Pharaoh and all the Egyptian kings and Pharaohs that led ruled in Egypt. There was the... Uh, Roman kingdom that was in charge during the day of Jesus Christ, the Medes and Persian kingdom that we read about in the book of Daniel. You look at all of these kingdoms of the world. I'm going to ask you a question, friend. How many of those kingdoms that I've just named love God? Zero. How many of them followed God? Zero. How many of them were yielded to the plan of God? None of them were. So I am assuming that we understand, yes, those were the kingdoms that the devil had power over that he could give and say, Jesus, if you'll worship me, I'll give you all the kingdoms of this world. Now let's ask it in our day and time. Let's name some kingdoms today. The kingdom of the U.S. of A. The kingdom of China, Japan, Russia. Other places that we could look around the world. Would you say those kingdoms are surrendered to God? Absolutely not. 
kingdoms are filled not with God's people, not with people giving glory to God. Just because we sing God bless America doesn't mean that God's going to bless America, my friend. God blesses the people that live according to His values, according to His word, that follow Him. The kingdoms of this world out there in our day, who do you think they belong to? Who has power and sway over those kingdoms of this world? I'll tell you who has power and sway over them is the devil. Now don't misunderstand me. God is sovereign. And God's kingdom rules over all this world. But in case we haven't read enough scripture yet, I'll just go ahead and tell you, God has the devil on a leash. And right now he's let that leash out just a long way off. And he's barking like one of these little dogs that come out and barks at you when you're on your walk or your job. But God's got the devil on a leash. And I'm telling you, friend, God's given the devil some privilege. And he's got a lot of privilege. But when we read the book of Revelation, God jerks that leash right quick and reels him back in and throws him in the bottomless pit for a thousand years. And then ultimately, God's got the devil sentenced to hell for eternity, the lake of fire. That's the end of the book, by the way, the Bible. The authoritative word of God. That's what it says. So the devil had every reason to say, I'll give you all of these kingdoms, Jesus, if you'll bow and worship me. Well, now, Jesus already knew it. You already know it. The devil's a liar. You can't believe a thing he says. And so Jesus rejected him, refused him in that temptation. And then the third temptation, the devil took Jesus up to the pinnacle of the temple, 450 feet high above the valley, and they were standing on the edge of the temple and Jesus, and the devil said to Jesus, if you'll jump down, when you get ready and you get close to the ground, his angels are going to grab you and they're going to lift you up and they're going to keep you from dashing your foot against a stone. The devil quoting scripture to Jesus. But Jesus knew better because he knew that that would be a temptation against God, and you don't tempt God. My friend, no more would have been any different than if you and I get on top of this building and jump off after the service, and Jesus jumping off the pinnacle of that temple. That was abuse of Scripture, and the devil knew it, but the devil was trying to trick Jesus and trying to get him to tempt God. See, friend, if you get in your car and you go 100 miles an hour and hit, hit a tree and you don't think you're going to die, you're, you're tempting God, my friend. You get in a car and you go 100 miles an hour and hit a brick wall and you don't think you're going to crash and tap your car, you're tempting God. And the Bible says you don't tempt God. God has laws and those laws are in place. And the Word of God is the law of authority that's in place. Now, there are several examples in Scripture of how the devil will use Scripture against us. And there are many of those. But for sake of time, we're not going to get into them today. In every temptation, Jesus relied on the authority 
of God's Word. We come to the conclusion, we learn two things about temptation in this passage of Scripture. The first one is that it is never ending. Temptation is never ending. Did you notice the last verse we read in our text? When the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. The devil had plans to come back and tempt him again. And I want us to understand today, friend, every time you overcome a temptation, that's not the end of it. The devil's coming right back. He'll wait for the right time to come back and tempt you again. One of those times that the devil came back was in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus was there praying the night before his trial, before he was arrested and handed over to be crucified. And it says that he asked his disciples, could you watch and pray with me one hour? But they could not. And the devil was facing awesome onslaught of temptation in the garden that night. You and I will be tempted. My friend... If we are not grounded in the authority of the Word of God, how are we ever going to overcome the temptation of the devil? If I don't know what the Bible says, then I can't use what the Bible says. And then if I know what the Bible says, I've got to know it accurately or the devil's going to twist Scripture around just like he did with Jesus and he'll get me all confused and he'll have me going in the opposite direction that God wants me to. Temptation is never ending. Number two, we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and rely on God's authoritative word. I want, to, I want to end this morning with a couple of verses of Scripture. One of them is right there in your notes. If you don't have an outline with you, it's Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 17. I want you to notice this verse for a minute. And the Bible says, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The Bible says that the Word of God is my sword that I can fight with against the devil. Now we all know that that is imagery in our day and time. Back in those days when Jesus was living and back in the Bible days, they did fight a lot with swords and with bows and arrows and things like that. They had on all of this armor that they would wear in battle. And that's what Ephesians 6 is talking about, being clothed in the armor of God. It's a very vivid illustration for the day of Jesus, for the day of Paul. But we don't wear armor around today, now do we? But yet we can get the imagery here. It says, our sword, the sword of the Holy Spirit that lives within us, our defense against the temptations and the onslaughts of the devil coming against us, our sword of battle is the Word of God. My friend, I don't know that we've all figured that out yet in this audience today. But if I'm going to overcome temptation and if I'm going to deal with the devil and have victory in my life, I'm going to have to become 
able to use the Word of God because that is my defense against His temptations. Just like it was the defense of Jesus' temptations. One other verse, and I'm going to read this one to you, and then we'll be, we'll be finished this morning. It's found in the book of Hebrews. It's a chapter number 4. It's a verse that oftentimes uh, we read. It's a powerful verse. But it's Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12. And it is a verse that actually describes how that this sword of the Spirit works. How does the sword of the Spirit in the hand of a believer, how does that help in overcoming temptation and the devil. Hebrews 4.12 For the word of God is living and it's powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. Now that's as far as we need to go. The word of God. My little granddaughter, one of them, got her learner's permit yesterday. She turned 15. She lives down in Georgia. And my wife and I were talking yesterday morning and they, we, we were talking said, I wonder if Claire will get her permit today or will she wait? Well, we found out she got it immediately. Soon as they opened, she was there getting her learner's permit. She had studied that manual. She knew those driving laws and she knew all of those things. And she was able to pass that test. They did the road test. She got her permit. Now... She is ready to go. She can get out and drive. I already saw a post of her little video she sent driving the car down the road and getting her sip of her mocha or whatever she was drinking. <laughs> Hadn't had her license but a few hours and already learns how to do that. Well, anyway, my friend, listen to me. She knows the laws, we know the laws. We know what's right and wrong in driving. We know what's legal and illegal. But my friend, notice what this verse says. This verse is saying to us this morning that the Bible is different than an owner's manual for a car or a state exam to get your driver's license or your favorite hunting magazine or your instructions at work are the rules that you have at work. The Bible's totally different from every other document we will ever read. How is that? In the first line. It says, for the Word of God is living. The Word of God is living. There's no other document you will ever hold in your hand or have or read that is living, that it's currently Active with a source of power unknown to the world in which we live. But it is propelled and empowered by the highest spiritual power of the land. And that's God Himself. You can't say that about the law of the land. You can't say that about your workbook. You can't say that about any newspaper, any magazine, or anything you will ever have at work. No, but you can say it about the Word of God. The Word of God is living and powerful. And here's the way it is. God the Father is living. 
God the Son is living. God the Holy Spirit is living. And God the Holy Spirit is the one that wrote this Bible through using men like you and I. He used those men to write this Word of God. And so it is the living Word of God. And it's the living Word of God, that sword in your hand that you're able to fight off the enemy and fight off the devil. It's that living Word of God that the Holy Spirit empowers in your life to help you have victory and to overcome temptation and on and on and on. That's why in Jesus' temptation, He combated the devil and said, but it is written, the living Word of God that is on alive today and alive in my life the devil I want you to know it is the living word of God that's giving me direction and instruction right now and so therefore I'm not going to listen to a thing you have to say the living word of God God is a great God I pray this morning that many of us here in this room whether we've ever consciously done this or not would do it right now that we would say, God in heaven, I submit myself to the authoritative word that you have provided for me, the word of God. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to read it. I'm going to follow it. I'm going to live by it, your holy word. About the same time that I was sharing with you earlier, that I became aware of the authority of God's word, to rule my life. There was a statement going on. And it turned into a little song. Now I'm not going to sing it. <laughs> but it turned into a little song. It was back in the 60's. And this little song. This little jingle went like this. Some of you my age or older may, have, may remember it. God said it. I believe it. And that settles it for me. I almost sung it for you there. Because it had a little tune to it. And, and that's why you, I never forgot it. God said it, I believe it, and that settles it for me. Well, I, I learned that slogan. I learned that little tune that, that it was in. I surrendered myself to the authority of God's Word. And then later on, as I grow, grew a little bit in my Christian walk, I realized that that little slogan was a little bit wrong. It's okay, but it was a little bit wrong. And that is, here's where it was wrong. God said it. I believe it, and that settles it for me. Let me tell you something, friend. Here, here, here's the real slogan. God said it, that settles it. There's a little bit of difference there, isn't it? God settled it, whether I believe it or not. God said it, that settled it. And that is the authoritative word of God. That's how we look at Scripture. God said it, I believe it, that settles it for me. Does that mean if I don't believe it, it's not settled? You see, that's where the Christian community today is messed up big time, my friend. It's where churches are messed up. We think we've got to believe it for it to be settled. Oh no, God said it, that settles it. I hope that you're settled on the authoritative scripture, the word of God. Would you bow with me as we pray? Father, as we prepare for invitation today, I just pray that you'll do a great work in our hearts and lives. Lord, we've 
sort of worked our way through the temptations of Jesus this morning, we see that the living, powerful Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, we hold in our spiritual life. God is authoritative and gives us victory over sin. Now guide us as we sing. May we make decisions for Christ. May lives be touched and changed. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.